So every day as we go about our daily business, and indeed even right now as we sit here in church, it's fascinating to think that there are people who are dedicating their lives to keep us and our country safe. Whether it's from terror, whether it's from hostile activity, whether indeed it's from serious crime. The remarkable thing is the vast majority of us live our lives blissfully unaware that right now there are intelligence agents working for GCHQ, there are undercover surveillance officers surveilling criminals, also that we can be protected, also that we can live in a nation of peace. And most of us go about our daily lives, our business, our work, our recreation, totally oblivious to this reality. Now, I mention it, of course, because we've been studying uh, Numbers chapter 22. Uh, God's people, Israel, were on the plains of Moab. They were playing with their families. They were resting after their victory uh, over the Amorites. And they were blissfully unaware that the Moabites and the Midianites were planning and plotting their ruin. The Israelites had no clue that the Moabites were filled with fear and terror and wanted them destroyed. They had reached out to Iraq to find Balaam, that prophet of international renown, the weapon of mass destruction, to come and put a curse on God's people. And little did Israel know that Balaam had started making his way to Moab. Little did Israel know that Balaam had been stopped in his tracks by the angel of the Lord. Little did they know that God had spoken to Balaam through his donkey, both to save him and to speak sense to him. They were just going about their ordinary lives, blissfully unaware of all that was taking place. And they had no idea that their God was working all things together for good, for they were his people, and they were called according to his purpose. As we come to chapters 23 and 24 this morning, we're going to see Romans, 28, Romans 8, verse 28, worked out again in these two chapters. God works all things together for good for those who are loved and called according to his purposes. Balaam was on his way to pronounce a curse on God's people. God will use Balaam to pronounce four blessings on God's people. If last week's sermon was a curse sought, this week's sermon is a blessing given. Now, just so we can pick up where we left off last week, we we actually left off in chapter 22, verse 35. So let's look at verse 36. So Balaam, eh, Balak hears that Balaam has come to town. He's finally made it to the city of Moab. And so King Balak, the king of the Moabites, goes out to meet him. Now hear his words of welcome, verse 37. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? 
So Balak was less than thrilled that Balaam had taken his time to come. His words of welcome were this series of questions. Why didn't you come? Where have you been? I called for you. And, and you can feel and sense the frustration in Balak's voice. It's interesting, in his third question, there's the, there's the suggestion that the reason Balaam took his time was because he wasn't sure that Balak could reward him as he wanted. Am I not able to honor you? And actually, this question reveals that King Balak's a rather perceptive man, because Balaam was in this for the money. We saw that last week. The New Testament tells us that Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. He was willing to sell his soul for financial gain. Well, in response to Balak's series of probing questions, Balaam ducks, sidesteps, evades them. Verse 38, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? And in effect, he says, come on, at least I'm here. Stop, with, stop harping on with the questions about where have I been. It's like the king has touched a raw nerve. He knows why Balaam took his time. But you know the most fascinating statement that Balaam says in verse 38? It's his final one. I can only speak the word that God puts in my mouth. And the reason that's such a fascinating statement is because in chapter 22, that's what Balaam failed to do. God told him in verse 12, you shall not curse the people, meaning Israel, for they are blessed. And he did not tell Balak's messengers that detail. Here's the incredible thing. This week, we are going to see that Balaam will only speak the words that the Lord puts into his mouth. The Puritans used to say, Thomas Watson, God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Meaning God can use any individual to accomplish his good purposes. Last week, God used a donkey this week, God will use a false prophet who's greedy for gain. Now, there are times I come in the Bible and I find myself confused, humbled, mind-stretched. How is it possible, right? In my understanding, the people that God uses to accomplish his purposes are those who are holy, those who are given to his will. Well, we've got to let God be God. God can do as he pleases. And when he pleases him, he will use sinful and wicked men to accomplish his glorious purposes. Do you know where we see that? In the life of Jesus, he used Judas Iscariot, one of his own followers, to deliver Jesus up so that our sins might be paid for in full. And here we come, and we're going to be humble because God is going to use this false, greedy prophet who was initially going to put a curse on God's people to read out four blessings over God's people. Now, just so you are convinced that Balaam is the false prophet that I've said he is, because some people question that as they read through this, this section, look at verse 39. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath Huzoth, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep 
and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. It's maybe not as clear in, in the English, but what is clear is that this was a feast. It wasn't just any feast. It was a pagan feast. The first thing we see Balaam doing as he arrives in Moab is indulging and partying and celebrating with Balak in a pagan feast. And then beginning in verse 41 onwards, we have the four oracles. Now, these four oracles really serve as a confirmation of what we read in Genesis chapter 12. God will reiterate the blessings and the promises he made to Abram. Remember what God promised Abram? I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to give you a great offspring. I'm going to bless you abundantly. And I'm going to, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In these four oracles, we'll hear those promises reiterated. Now, now look down at verse 41. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. So the king takes this prophet and he brings him to a place called Bamoth Baal. That literally means the high place of Baal. So he takes him to this pagan area where people would have worshipped Baal. And from there, they look down and they can see a fraction, a tiny little bit of Israel. And then, as we get into chapter 23, Balak says to Balaam, we're going to go through a, a rigmarole of sacrifices. Build for me here seven altars. Prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Now, they're the most expensive sacrifices you could make, bulls and rams. And he says, you're going to offer seven bulls and seven rams. And we know from ancient Near Eastern material, this is what the Babylonians used to do when they wanted to stir up the gods and get an audience with them. Offer extravagant sacrifices to be granted an audience with God, their gods. And so Balaam does as Balak asks. And then Balaam says to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows, I will tell you. And he went to the bare height and God met Balaam. Now this, this, this amazes me, right? He engages in divination and God meets him. But please don't misunderstand me. Nowhere do we hear God giving approval to what Balaam has just done. He's just engaged in a pagan ritual and he goes up the mountain and God meets him. Verse 5, and the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. And so down goes Balaam to the king and here we have oracle number one. Verse seven, in verse 7 of this oracle, Balaam says to Balak, you brought me from the east, and you brought me here to curse God's people. But notice what he says in verse 8. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see Israel. From the hills I behold, and behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. In essence, what Balaam says, I look down and I see God's special people set apart and remember he's at the top and all he can do is 
All he can see is a tiny fraction of them. But look at verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? In other words, he says, God has made good on his promise to Abraham that he would make them into a great nation, that their offspring would be as great as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. And as Balaam pronounces this, his last statement is so fascinating. He looks at the blessed people of God and look at what he says. Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Do you know what he says? I want to be one of God's people. I want to die like God's people. I want to be one of the upright. I want to be one of the blessed. Sometimes people can come who are not Christians, come with in God's people and see that, oh, they clearly have got something in common. They've clearly got something meaningful. They've clearly got something that I've not got, at least it seems like that, and, and they can long for that. I want what they've got. They seem to have a peace when everything's in chaos. Just this week, I, I, I think I mentioned in the prayer meeting that there's been that horrendous shooting in Nashville. And it, Robert Cunningham, who's preached here before, uh, two of his best friends, his usher at his wedding, and his best man, their children are at that school. And so, in the aftermath of the shooting, they phoned him and said, can you come down and can you pastor us? His friends are pastors at the church covenant. And so Robert went down and he's recorded a podcast and you can, you can go and listen to it. And in, the, and in the podcast, he says that when he was with his friends, there was a grief counseling session where they had a grief counselor who interestingly read from Jesus' storybook Bible, Revelation 22, what happens at the end. He says, he was in a room and all these people were almost overcome with grief. He'd never been in a room like it. And the key word there is almost. Because even though they had just experienced great wickedness, the pastor Chad lost his nine-year-old daughter. Even in the midst of that, he grieved as one with hope. As I was listening to that, I was like, this is, the un- this is the incredible thing about being a Christian is that we have a hope even in the face of death and evil, unspeakable evil. And sometimes people see that Christians have that and, and, and they, they can admire that from a distance. And it's clear that Balaam here, he looks on at God's blessed people and he says, I want to die like they die. I want to live like they live. I want to be one of them. Now, remember who he's saying this to. He's saying it to Balak. So look at verse 11. Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. As I said, King Balak seems a perceptive guy. He recognizes exactly what's just happened. What has happened is the guy he's brought to put a curse on God's people has come and he's put a blessing on them. And he's furious. He's livid. He's mad. And notice what Balaam's answer is, verse 12. Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? 
In other words, he says, I'm going to speak the words that God has told me to speak. Well, then we come to oracle number two. Now, the strange thing about Balak, right, it's always in one ear, out the other ear. He notices that the curse hasn't been pronounced, the blessing has been uh, put over God's people. So look at verse 13. He says to Balaam, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Speaking about Israel. Then curse them for me from there. And so he took them to the field of Zophim and to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth. Return to Balak and thus shall you speak. So here comes oracle number Two. Now, in Oracle number two, Balaam starts speaking about God. Look at verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? It's like he says, Balaam, Balak, you need to listen up. God does not lie. God does not change his mind. What he says, he will do. When God says he'll do something, he will do it. When God speaks something, promises something, he will make good on it. Now, what's interesting is that what he draws out about God is this. God is unchanging. God is morally consistent in his character and in his purposes and in his promises. Contrast that to Balaam. He's morally inconsistent. He'll curse God's people for money. One minute he knows that God said to him, you shall not go to Moab. The next minute he's going to Moab. Balaam's just like you and me. In the presence of a consistent, holy God, you and I are exposed to be inconsistent people. Isn't it the case that you and I say things that don't line up with our actions. We don't practice what we preach. And I'm more conscious of that than anyone else because I preach a lot. We're inconsistent before God. And that was one of Balaam's great problems. He said things, but he didn't live these things out. Then in verse 22, he, he, he goes on. In verse 20, brother, behold, I receive a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. Has, he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, their God, is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. Now, this is fascinating. Balak took him up to a mountain, and he said, see, on this mountain, you're only going to be able to see a tiny fraction of the people. Well, that doesn't really matter, because see God's people? When they're together, they know God's with them. God's in the midst of them. And so it doesn't matter that he can't see all of them. Balak and Balaam can hear them. They are shouting, like Psalm 100, shout to the Lord with joy, all people who to the earth belong. They're shouting because their king is in their midst. 
And, 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 and God, as their king, is a warrior king. He's a God who, in verse 22, they brought them out of Egypt. He's a God who will lead them to the promised land. He's the God who has wrought so much on their behalf. Now, do you know if God is for you, no one can be against you? And that's a blessing that's been pronounced over Israel here. If God blesses you, and those who you bless, he will bless. God curses you, those who curse you will be cursed. Romans 8, 20, Romans 8 says to us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, the, 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 the placard, the demonstration for God's Old Testament people was he brought them up out of Egypt. He defeated their enemies. The demonstration for us as God's new covenant people is the cross. He defeated sin, Satan, death, hell. He gave us his one and only son. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. See, all, all, all Balaam does in these oracles is he just blesses God's people with the promises of Genesis chapter 12. Now, Balak hears this and he is furious. Verse 25. Do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. He's like, like, come on, just stop what you're doing. I wanted you to curse them and every time you speak, you bless them. And Balaam says, didn't I tell you all that the Lord says I must do? Now we come to verse 27, and, and it's strange, right? Because you're thinking, I said Balak was a perceptive man. He clearly isn't that perceptive because he says, let's do it again. <laughs> let's go up another high mountain. The difference is, this, this, this mountain, and this is really significant. We'll, we'll, we'll visit this mountain next time we're in Numbers, Numbers 25. Let's go to Mount Peor. And that's famous in God's people's history because that's where they went and they cursed themselves. Let's go up to this mountain and let's go through the sacrificial rigmarole. But this is where we get another little clue. In chapter 24, verse 1, we are told this. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times, as was his custom, to look for omens, but set his face towards the wilderness. Now, here's what we've been told. Every time he'd gone up a mountain, he'd made the offering, he, he used omens. He used sorcery. He, he used divination to meet with God. This time he doesn't do that. This time he goes up to the top of the mountain and he, he knows that God's going to bless his people. So he says, no, no need for that. And just for a tiny moment you're thinking, has there been a change in this man? Is he getting it? And there's another change, right? It's not just a change in location. Interestingly, God, it doesn't say the Lord put his words in his mouth. It says that the Spirit of God came upon him. And interestingly, when it comes to the next two oracles, they're slightly different from the first two in that the first, the last two had been statements about God and his relationship to his people. The second two are statements about God, what God will do in the future. So for... for Balak, it's third time lucky. Let's try this different mountain. Let's try this different, let's try these sacrifices. Let's hope now. Let's hope now he'll curse them. Now look at the third oracle. Verse 
5, he says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Now then he starts explaining what Israel will be like in the future. And he says, Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedars beside the waters. And if you know any biblical imagery, you know that he's describing here Eden. He's saying that the Israel is on its way to an Eden-like land. He's saying that Israel is going to receive in the future God's abundant blessing. They're on their way to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on and he says, they will be greater than any king. Their kingdom shall be exalted because it's God who's brought them up out of Egypt. And it's at this point in hearing the third oracle that Balak loses it. Now, to feel the force of it, verse 10 says, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam and he struck his hands together. He's a king. This is the ultimate sign of fury. He's done with it. He's had it. It's over. I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you've blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. At this point, it seems that the situation is over. Balaam is in serious danger for his own life. The king of Moab is furious. And you know Balaam's response? Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he gives his fourth and final oracle. And in this oracle, he says this, Israel will destroy, will devastate all of their enemies. But I want you to listen carefully. Look at verse 17. I see him. Who? But not now. I behold him. But not near. Who's he talking about? A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall cross the forehead of Moab, break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Here also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. Now, here's the question. Who did Balaam see in this vision? Well, there's a sense in which he saw King David. Because King David was the one who defeated all the enemies of God's people. But he saw beyond King David. He saw... King David's greater son. He saw the star out of of Jacob. He saw the scepter of Israel. And if you know Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus is described as Israel's bright morning star. He is the scepter of God's people. Now let me just indulge you in a little bit of Old Testament theological speculation. Where's Balaam from? The east. What was Balaam known for? Wisdom. All the nations of the earth sought him. Thousands, hundreds of years later, 
men from the east would come because they saw a star over Israel. And they'd come and they would bow down and worship the one king of the Jews. And they did this because they read their books. Is there a chance that it was Balaam's prophecy they read? Is there a chance that these men from the east actually were people connected to Balaam in one way or another? Perhaps. It's just a theological speculation, but there's maybe something to it. What we know is that Balaam, in this final prophecy, sees that Jesus will come and he will be victorious for his people. Now, you know the thing that's most confused me about this passage this week? How in the world is it that God can bless his people through this cursed, through this crooked, through this false prophet? Because God can do what he pleases. He can use anyone as his mouthpiece. Here's a staggering thing. God can use you. God can use me. And we might not be false prophets, but he can use his children as he pleases. And we are saints who sin. We're inconsistent. Our words don't match our actions. But do you know the most incredible thing is, we miss the point of this passage if we think about it, is who's doing the blessing. Who is the one who brings the blessing? The sun, the star, the scepter, the perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sold, delivered up for 30 pieces of silver, who was lied against, falsely accused. He's the one who brought about blessing instead of curse for his people. Now, as we come to the end of the section, let me say this. This is the, the lessons I want us to take away from this passage. When we are blissfully unaware of it, of what is going on, you better believe that God is working all things together for good for your life. This passage tells us as much. Nothing can thwart God's purposes for his people who are loved and called according to his purposes. If God is for you, truly, no one can be against you. That doesn't mean we won't experience harm or hardship or hurt in this life. Covenant Presbyterian Church, Covenant School, they've, they've experienced great harm. But you heard their testimony. They know that their God, at the end, will right every wrong, will wipe every tear-stained eye, will remove sin, death, and suffering. They know they will see their loved ones again. God works all things, the most unimaginable, unspeakable things for his people together for good because his purposes cannot be thwarted. God will use whoever he pleases to accomplish his purposes. God will use false prophets. He has used false prophets. You know, there's been men who stood on pulpits, preached the best sermons, and then it's been found out that their whole life was a lie. God used them. You better believe it. 
Because God can use anybody to accomplish his plans and purposes. Balaam and Judas will stand before God in judgment day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not speak in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But in their experience, they thought, well, you use this. God can use people who think they're being used of God to accomplish his purposes and then never truly know God. That is something that blows my mind. But you know what this passage, where this passage must take us? It's not to look only and see the blessing that was put upon God's people, although that is the case. It is to see that the blessing comes through the Son. And all who come to the Son, the Savior Jesus, you're blessed in him. And so you must come to the Son, the one who's taken your curse so that you can be blessed. You must come to him and believe him and follow him and trust him. You know, the, the, the tragedy of this chapter is that Balaam gets up, eh, gets up to leave to go to his own home. But do you know what he does? He wants the money. He wants the reward. So in chapter 25, he goes to Balak and he says, I can't curse the people. But I'll tell you what, get them to sleep with Midianites and they'll curse themselves. And 20,000 Israelites die. And here's the warning. The blessed people of God, you who are in the people, see the people of God, enjoy the blessings of the people of God. Just know we must take heed. We must watch our life and our doctrine because it's so easy to miss Satan's tactics, which would want to destroy us and pull us down. But even greater than that, this is a warning. Are you a true Christian or are you a false Christian? Because for those who are his, he'll work it together for good. But for those who are not his, they'll walk away. Let's pray. Lord, your word is weighty and your word is mysterious at times. The way that you work out your plans and your purposes are way beyond our minds fathoming. Thank you that you're, you're always so serious with us to warn us. But you're also so generous to us to show us just how blessed we are in your son, the Lord Jesus. God, we, we realize that the amazing reality of, of, of this passage is to teach us that you work all things together for good. And we pray that we would find the truth and the comfort and the assurance of that promise this day and all of our days. And yet we pray that we would never be so presumptuous. Never be so presumptuous to just live in, live in your son, living the blessed life, live among your people, and yet all the while be living a double life. Living whether it's for money or for sex or for power. God, would you keep us? Would you help our words to match our actions? Would you bless us? Not because we deserve it, but because you're a gracious God. And those whom you love, you will always love. And those who you've chosen, 
will always be yours. And it's in that we rest. In Jesus' name. Amen.